holding land is kind of a good hedge uh, yeah, for inflation in a way. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Pete Reese. Pete, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great. For, thanks for having me, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit about Pete. Pete, he is... Um, Licensed real estate broker in California, but an active investor since 2000 and uh, really no longer represents the buyers, the sellers in their purchases. They're focused on operating the real estate investment business. And, uh, but you've done, you've done everything, you know, a lot of things in real estate. You've developed uh, luxury properties, you've listed luxury properties, you, you've listed uh, REOs and short sales. Um, you've worked with investors, you've been a part of thousands of real estate transactions. So, uh, just a wealth of knowledge. So I guess with that, Pete, why don't you just give our listeners a bit more about your background and then what you guys are focused on today? Sure. Well, I've been involved, like you said, in real estate for quite some time, um, since I guess you could say the year 2000, when my wife and I, we bought our first home. And we bought it with FHA financing, three and a half percent down. And at the time, it was about two hundred thousand dollars here in California, which was, you know, uh, uh, way less than things are right now. Yeah. So wow. we bought it and uh, held it for about two years and sold it and uh, put about fifty thousand dollars in our pocket. And we thought we were real estate moguls, you know. <laughs> uh, What's so a two hundred thousand dollar house sell for today? What would that house sell for right now? That that same house is probably five hundred thousand. Five hundred. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, I don't know. There's just not much. If you, if you're looking for a $200,000 house in San Diego County, it's, it's, you're not going to be, yeah, I don't even know if there are any at this point, right. but right. It, it was an entry level house. And, uh, you know, it kind of got us, got the bug going for us. We bought another house that was the kind of a fixer, fix it up, did well on that, started flipping homes. Um, so we did that kind of as our primary business for, for quite some time, a number of years got my real estate broker's license to try to, you know, um, have a little bit more control of the deals I was finding and show sure. the properties to myself and that type of thing. But it came in handy when the real estate market crashed because at we we decided that probably flipping homes at that point in time was probably not the best deal, best, you know, the best thing to do. Yeah, but as, my wife got as the, the idea. values are crashing and you're trying oh, to Oh yeah, it. everything's crashing. It just yeah. Yeah, we had you know, this we had never seen anything like that. We had, did right. not anticipate anything like that. So we kind of shifted gears and she said, Hey, I think you'd be really good at selling bank owned properties, which is that's what was selling. There was still yeah. a ton of activity. Yeah. Um so I got heavily involved in that and started listing them for all the banks. And that was a big learning experience and, and really good, um, good thing to have income coming in at that time. And a lot of people in real estate were really struggling at the time. So what's, to have what's that, that business like that, that's selling these bank owned REOs and short sales, what, what, like, is there, is it difficult to do or what, what was the, what were the like, maybe two or three positives and two or three negatives of that. Right. Yeah. Good questions. Um, if I had to do it, you know, if I had to do it now, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to go back into that business <laughs> for sure. 
Um, so I guess the positives were that we were selling things and we were getting commissions at a time when the, the whole market was really having some issues. Yeah. So that was that was a really good aspect to it because every all the other agents were envious because I was doing a lot of deals. Yeah, you're and, making money when they're not. Right, exactly. So it was yeah. it was it, it's a tough thing, and a lot of people were trying to break into it. The other thing about it is to kind of break into that business, you've got to do a lot of the, what they call BPOs, broker price opinions, which are mini appraisals. So you kind of we kind of paid our dues doing a bunch of those BPOs and then got our work noticed by a lot of these bank asset managers, hmm. gradually started getting some listings, doing some good good job for them, and then they start feeding you more and more listings. So it was a good business in that way. A couple of the downsides that were really tough were the people aspect of it. I mean, first thing that happens when you get a listing, you get an email that says property assignment, one, two, three Main Street. And your first job is to go down there and see if it's occupied. So mm -hmm. you have to go down to the house as the representative of the bank yep. and knock on the door, see if there are people still living there. And I've had you know all kinds of um, you know sad situations. It was just a bad time financially for many people. Yeah. And some people were not even aware that their property had sold at the foreclosure auction. You know, oh, they were really? getting these notices and things. And at the time, you know, many of these foreclosure sales were getting delayed. The banks were really trying to work with people, but then sometimes they just didn't delay them and it went through the auction and people were kind of, they didn't know. So I'm this representative of the bank, you know, kind of letting them know what's going on. And it's, you know, it's just a sad, a sad yeah. thing. And the emotional yeah. part of it, I just, it's tough. You know, yeah, I'm more of the business tough. side of things. I like the business side of things, but when the emotions come involved, you know, it's not for me. Yeah, I mean, you got to tell somebody they, they they no longer can live at their house, and yeah, you probably yeah, I mean, got sworn at a couple times, maybe threatened a few times. Um, yeah. I tried to take the approach that I was, you know, trying to work with. You know, they were shocked sometimes. Yeah, but I tried to I tried to work with them as best as I could. I mean, I was always authorized to do a cash for keys arrangement. Sure. So I would try to get them as much as I could and get them as much time as I could. So I would try to be on their side of the table a little bit while still accomplishing the goals of the, of the bank. But, you know, there's situations where the kids, kids answer the door and I'm like, Hey, can I speak to your parent? You know, it's just heartbreaking, you yeah, know, that's sad. That's sad. All right. Yeah. Let's move on then to kind of what you're, what you're focused on right now. Yeah. Right now uh, for the last two years, we've been heavily involved in our, our main business. hundred percent of our business is land flipping and development. Mm. And this is short-term holds of land, which I know a lot of people may not think go together land, you know, yeah. traditionally it takes a while to sell, but in this model, basically what we're doing is we're buying properties off market, rural land, mostly that is maybe neglected or, you know, underused. And, and then we're buying it for a, uh, an aggressive price that will allow us to do some basic things to the property generally, and then relist it at a, and also a pretty aggressive price so we could sell it quickly. So are you guys changing the use of the land or is that part of like the strategy or is it just the strategy of... Yeah, I haven't changed the use yet on any of these properties, but we'll do some minor things generally, like some clearing of paths. We'll do a survey. We'll do perk tests. Uh, sometimes we'll do a minor subdivision where we just get a survey and take like a 
hundred acre parcel and break it up into five 20 acre parcels mm. and then resell each parcel individually. We do that. And uh, generally we're, we're just doing some minor things and then putting it on the market again. Okay. And is it, it like what what's the, what's your typical piece of piece of property is is it a you know is somebody using it for recreation you know hunting or or whatever is somebody using it for farming um is it somebody that wants to put a house on it a cabin on it what what's the typical use can be all of those i mean we try to buy properties where there could be a a number of options for potential uses for the end buyer, a lot easier to sell in that way. But most of these properties are sort of within an hour or two of sort of major metropolitan areas that mm. have some things going for them. So those are kind of the areas that, that we target. And we're looking for, at this point, we're looking for properties that are at least 10 acres, you know, all the way up to the biggest one we've done was 650 acres. I would even do bigger if, if you know, if we found some, some good properties that way. And then, you know, the end buyer could be, you know, someone that is looking to do a home site on there, or it could be someone that's just looking for a recreational property. We have purchased uh, and sold some farmland as well. Those are a little tougher to get a hold of, but those are, um, those are really popular properties as well. Yeah. I would imagine. How are you, how are you flipping a piece of land? Cause, cause it's not like, you, yeah, it's not like it's got a big value add. Well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I wouldn't think you could have land that has that big of a value add. A little bit of cleanup, maybe, maybe put a a road in there, a driveway in there, or or something like that. But like, yeah. how are typically you flipping? Yeah, typically minor stuff. I mean, we're buying at the right prices, and it's all because we're buying them off market. We're, you know, marketing directly to the property owners, and mm. a lot of these people they inherited the property. They've never even been to the property. Or they've owned it for many years and they're just sick of paying the property taxes every year and it's more of a hassle for them. And uh, they don't really want to go through the traditional sales process to market it to a, you know, uh, a retail end buyer. So we're, we step in for the people that it does make sense. We, you know, we offer them a quick cash deal and if they're interested, you know, we do a deal with them and go from there. So. Is, are, are there certain things you look for in a piece of property or may, I, let me, let me rephrase that. Is there, are there certain things that you avoid with a piece of property? Yes, uh, definitely. And in fact, like many of these properties, you know, we'll, we'll do, we generate all our business with direct mail. So we send out an actual offer letter to uh, a list that we compile and it's like, you know, Mr. Smith, you know, we've, interested in buying your 10 acre parcel, you know, and here's the price that we can offer you. But, and then we'll get the calls back, you know, we'll either get calls back or emails back, text, everything. And then we'll evaluate the property and see, and a lot of times those properties that come back are really not something that we want to move forward with. Now, some of these reasons that we don't want to move forward with them are, are issues that we know we're going to have a problem with the, on the resale side of things. Like it could have wetlands on the property. Um, no. That's not like a, that's not like a, uh, uh, a done deal in every case, but if the entire property is wetlands. It's Lots really not something we want. Whatever. Yeah. Swamps. Exactly. Yeah. Or if it's like the topography is terrible, like it's on the side of a mountain yeah. or if it, uh, if it's, believe it or not, there's a lot of properties out there that are landlocked. 
So they have no road frontage okay. and they have no legal or deeded access. So they're yeah. just kind of you gotta take your helicopter in now. Island, you know? <laughs> and uh and you can pick up those properties pretty cheap, but you know, they're what not buildable. Yeah. And in a lot of states, you do have the legal right to go access your properties, but you can't build on them ever. And you could just maybe go ride four wheelers and do recreational things on them. Yeah. yeah. Limited use, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's not that. Is that a property you would avoid even, even if you yes. could get it at the right price, you'd just say, forget it. We're not going to deal yeah. with this. I bought one landlocked property and I thought it was a screaming deal. It was like 12 acres for $3,000. And it was, it got so much interest when I put it on the market to sell, but it, no one really understood what landlocked means. So we had to explain it over and over again and tell it a contract a couple of times. And, you know, when it all was said and done, we made a little bit of money, but it wasn't worth all the hassle. There's a lot of hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. For not making much money. So, yeah. What do you, um, I guess any anything else that you guys red flags or things you guys avoid before I move on. Those are the main things. I mean, some things come up during the we purchase everything through a title company, an attorney, or escrow company. Are you doing environmentals so some, on on everything too? No, no, no environmental stuff. But you know, so we do call the city or the county and go through a, a whole list of questions. We try to determine if it's buildable. You know, th yeah. those are because at least that gives if it's buildable, there's another exit possible exit for us in that, you know, a buyer would, would purchase it for, you know, a home site potentially. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always the there's always the potential for someone to use it as a recreational property. But if it's also buildable, then it's, you know, normally able to, we're normally able to sell it for a little more and we have a bigger buyer pool, I guess you could say. So, you know, we go through a list of questions and a bunch of due diligence stuff while we're under contract. You know, we, we also have local brokers that we work with where we get their opinion on the property as well. And, um, yeah, so if there's any big red flags that come up, you know, all kinds of weird stuff can, can come up, but, uh, we try to, we try to figure that stuff out while we're under contract before what's we actually weirdest, send the money. What's the weirdest thing that, uh, that has came up? You know, I, I, we actually run into this, uh, quite a bit, but I, I don't like it. Like sometimes like a cemetery, like an old family cemetery yeah. or something is on the property. Yeah. I try to avoid those properties because <laughs> I don't know. I just don't want to deal with that. Yeah. I don't want to deal with No. Yeah. Like who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so as, as you're looking, do you guys have a specific, you know, there, there's so much property out there. There's so much land out there. Like, how do you, how do you maneuver through that? When you said 10 to 650 plus acres, I mean, that's a lot of properties. Right. So, so how do you target, how do you target these people? Otherwise you're, it sounds, it sounds like you'd be sending out like hundreds of thousands of, you know, letters to people. Right. Well, first of all, the first thing we do is we identify certain regions that we like. Yeah. And we just look at kind of like, like most so investors would like, do. are you looking for like population growth and, and, and that type of stuff? Or are you looking for, 
vacation area? Like what, what's, what's your kind of your big target then if, if I'm looking at a certain region or certain area, what, what, what's your main thing? The main thing is sales activity. Sales. Activity. So if okay. I can see, if I can look and see, Hey, there's good sales activity here. You know, normally I look at the number of I'll do, you know, as a, as a basic example, I may take a particular County in say Maryland and I'll look um, for comps and I'll say, you know, lots that are 10 acres to a hundred acres. And I'll see over the past 12 months, how many sold and then how many are listed in that, that category right now. So by just those couple metrics there, I can see what kind of activity there is. So for instance, if I look that up and it says there's been 10 sales in the past year, and then I see on there that there's 40 listings, you know, that's potentially four years worth of inventory that's just yeah. there. The yeah. good ones are the ones where it's even or better than even. Mm -hmm. So I, I first look for sales activity. Is it an active market or things selling? Is there demand for properties there? Once we figure that out, then we start pulling our lists. I use a company called First um, Data Tree. It's a first American company. And by there, we can kind of really do all kinds of filters for the land. I mean, our main things that we look for, I mean, property size, we're looking at assessed value in, in a lot of these counties, because if, if it's got like a super low assessed value, that's kind of a filter for us that maybe it's got some issues, it's not buildable, it's landlocked, something like that. Uh, sometimes there's no correlation. So you're, you're going to avoid marketing to specific assessed value. Yeah, like uh, we'll, we'll normally cut it off. Like if the assessed value is below, you know, twenty thousand dollars or something like that, we'll just completely lock that off the list. Forget it. Yeah. But you know, but you got to be careful with that too because some counties are not. There's not really a big correlation between market value and assessed value. Now, some counties are really on top of it. Some counties are not. They just yeah. kind of used an assessed value based off of the purchase previous purchase price or. Yeah, if it sold 30 know. years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah. you got to be careful that to not... So you get an idea of which counties are on top of it and which ones aren't. So we try to we try to target those areas that we know we've got um, a good chance of being able to resell a property quickly. I mean, that's our whole thing. Our average hold time on these properties, like the amount of time that we actually have in our inventory is 60 days. Hmm. Are you so. buying... Are you buying on terms at all? Are you buying a contract for deed or anything like that from the sellers? Or And are you selling on terms at all? Uh, good questions. Uh, we actually, at this point, we are only buying with cash. Now, I have done two different properties. That one property I mentioned, 656 acres. And there was another one as well where I purchased it with a partner. And in those situations, there are in the land business, the land flipping business, there are partners that will work with you you know if you've got a really good deal they'll bring the money to the table and then you split the profits with them so you're kind of like the marketing partner they're the money partner and you both walk away with the healthy profit at the end of the deal so in that particular example you know the 650 you know some acre property we bought it for three hundred fifteen thousand, which is a really good deal you know that's like wow. you know 500 bucks an acre yeah. and it's a beautiful property too and um, bought it for, you know, 315,000. So in this, this case, the partner that I worked with, he brought all the money to the deal. 
we ended up selling it for five hundred ninety-five thousand. So not not quite a double, but a good profit return. And you know, we had to pay commissions and closing costs. But when all was said and done, we each walked away with hundred and eight thousand or something like that. And so it was a win win for him, win for me, and uh, you know, all the way around. And I didn't have to wire three hundred fifteen thousand myself. So I would have made double the profit, but you know. That's right. a big chunk of change, you know, just yeah. for to commit to commit to one deal. Well, yeah, commit to one deal, right? And if you don't have the right. money or if it's yeah. gonna make the money really tight and you can't do any more deals, well that doesn't That's right. work. So bringing on money can make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a syndicator, I syndicate multifamily. I could certainly make a lot of money, a lot more money if I didn't bring on any investors per deal. But I would be doing a whole heap of a lot less deals, plus smaller deals, if I didn't bring out investors. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get these deals across the table. And hard to pass on a 650-acre property that you can nearly double your money on because you don't have the money. Well, find a partner, you know, and get it done like you did. Yep. So. Yeah, you know, that, that makes way more yeah, sense. You, do you ever sell it on a, uh, on a contract for deed or, hmm. or anything like that? I don't. There's a lot of land investors. There's a lot of different business models kind of within this sure. land flipping business. Some of them, some of the investors, they'll buy the properties, you know, and a lot of these will buy them super cheap and then sell them on terms. You know, they'll try to get the down payment to cover what they bought the property for and then, mm. you know, take payments for five years or something like that. I don't do that. Um, I actually recently started working with uh, with another um, person. He basically what he'll do is he'll buy the note from me at closing, so I can offer it in our marketing that we own owner finance, and but you know and then he'll he'll pay me a uh, he'll cash me out uh, at closing, mm. so I get the cash, and and then the buyer you know gets to pay for it on terms. So he's he's gonna give you basically, or you're gonna give him a little bit of a discount. Yeah, yeah. Basically, he gets he gets uh, a twenty percent discount. Yeah, yeah. So you get the cash, then he'll finance it. He'll get the cash flow. Right. And, exactly. And yeah, that. and the buyer, you know, puts a certain percentage down. So it's kind of a defined program. The buyer puts twenty percent down. So it's yeah. pretty low risk for the. The, the note holder as well, because yeah. it's a good piece of property. And if, if he got it back, then he would be able to sell it for more anyhow. So have you thought about doing that yourself? Or are you just like, I just don't want to deal with that or, or I, you know, I have thought about that myself, but if I did do that myself, I would probably start up a fund of some sort and pull sure. money from other investors. So I don't have to use all my own cash. So, yeah, well, there might be people listening like, Hey Pete, you know, look, if you, if you do that fun, <laughs> We want yeah. to, we want to get with this thing. Cause uh, you know, land, the nice thing about land, I mean, there's certainly there's risk. Your, your risk is on, on the buy mainly. And, you know, as the economy shifts and changes uh, certainly land can lose value, but you know, if you, especially if you're buying it right, you're probably doing okay. And there's very little other risk. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point we're only buying properties that I know are quality. Like we probably, 90% of the leads that come in, we don't move forward with because they're not a quality property. I know if I buy a quality property and, and, I and pick it up quality, for the right price. Define quality then for, for our listeners. Define what sure. you would call quality. Yeah, for, for me, it's it has to kind of fit a number of, of different categories. First of all, I love properties with road frontage. 
you know, if it has deeded access of some sort, that's that's fine too. But if it's got a good amount of road frontage, that's always des more desirable than than some other odd access situation. Yeah. Uh, road frontage probably with uh, with ingress egress, right? So you can actually. Yeah, exactly. Not, like not your freeway. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes we'll we'll have these properties that come up there right along the freeway, and it looks like oh, you can. It looks like on the satellite images that the access is there, but obviously when you get on the ground, you're like, this is a freeway. There's no way the, you know, the Department of Transportation is going to let us put yeah. a driveway. Can't put a driveway here. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, definitely the access is a big thing. Also, the topography. Like I, I love you know the more gentle the property, the better. They mm -hmm. always sell a lot better. You know, if they have nice trees on the property, if they've got all, if they've got, um, kind of check all the boxes as far as buildability goes. You know, if we know that the soils are good there, that it'll support a septic system. If, you know, there's some other factors like that that kind of make it like, okay, I, I, I'm nearly 100% certain that you could build on this property. Uh, that helps. And also the area itself. Like if we know that there's demand in that area, then... You know, if we know that if we put it on the market for the right price, it's going to sell. Hmm. Plus, you know, it's kind of a weird time as well for this. Uh, you know, the the market as a whole is kind of in certain areas. It's it's struggling. The areas that have some tailwind behind them uh, are doing fine and certainly holding up right now. I think the other thing that that will benefit from in in the land business is just the kind of inflationary environment. So I think that it's it's kind of a holding land is kind of a good hedge. Um, yeah, for inflation in a way. Yeah, agreed. What about uh, a seller that wants to keep like the timber rights? What will you guys? What do you do with that? We we don't mess around with that. We'll only yeah. buy the property if we get all of that. I have had a situation where um, a couple of the properties we bought, you know, the previous owner, maybe somewhere in the chain of title, had, yeah, uh, you know, had sold off their. Um, you know, below surface like gas rights and things Mineral like that, or whatever. Yeah, I've got yeah. one property that's got a gas well on it, and and now we get a uh, a check. You know, we're going to be getting a check every month from that, but yeah, you know, it limits the use for the end buyer as well. So it's something you have to balance. Yeah, maybe maybe not quite as attractive if depending on your use, right? If I'm right, if I'm going to be hunting there. I certainly don't want somebody that's got timber rights on it because all of a sudden oh, a yeah. beautiful piece of hunting property is, you know, a field yes. <laughs> with a couple of sticks sticking up. I know. Um, yeah. I, I was actually looking for some land, rec land for myself and uh, family and, and a couple of the pieces of property the, the you know, the owners wanted to keep the, the timber rights and I'm like, that's not going to work for me. Like I, there's yeah. no way you're, you're, you're just not going to cut down my trees. Like, I, uh, I'm sorry. The but. trees are an asset. I was, I was talking with my daughter today. I was like, you know, it, what it would be really cool is if I would be able to advertise these properties and I would be able to say, okay, this property has 652 poplar trees and 321 pine, you mm. know, like, I wonder if that can, there's some technology to do that with, uh, you know, with the, all these satellite images, I'm sure someone's got it figured out way so, smarter so, yeah, than somebody's me. Somebody's probably got it figured out. That'd be <laughs> kind of cool to, to be able to yeah. do that. And be able, you know, there's a lot of tree people out there that'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, um, I love trees too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Like it, if if a property has is clear cut, when we bought clear cut properties, they're so hard to sell. Yeah. You know, people don't want them. People want the nice trees and the nice setting, you know? Yep, yep. Um, 
what else what else any other like nuances things you really look for uh things you you do to you know you're doing to be successful yeah just really honing in on the system and trying to improve it i've built a whole team around me now at this point that everything from getting the leads input into the system i've got an acquisition manager that uh talks to all the property owners you know as the leads come in uh, I've got another team member that analyzes all these properties and pretty much, you know, serves it up to me so I can kind of make the final decision on them, but I'm not doing a lot of the, you know, the, the, the tough work, the real dedicated research work on, on these properties. Got a transaction manager that handles that whole side of things. So I've tried to, I tried to create, you know, team members that will handle all these aspects of the business, which will allow us to scale as high as possible pete somebody like hey this sounds really cool i I, I love land i want to do that i want to buy some land and see if i can flip it somebody that's new wants to get into this like what's their what's the first you know maybe two or three action items that they should be taking in order to launch themselves the right way Mm -hmm. yeah i would i would first of all i would research the business models that people are using in in the land flipping business. There's a number of different models that we talked about. Like some people do the desert squares where they're buying them ultra cheap and then selling them on terms. Some people are doing like what I do, which is buying like rural properties in, you know, established, somewhat established areas and just flipping them quick. So I'd I'd kind of research the models that you think would align best with your skill set. And, um, and then just learn as much as you can about evaluating these properties, because if you can evaluate the properties and really know what you're getting, that's, that's half the battle. And then, you know, we, we leverage broker partners, local broker partners really heavily. And when we're buying properties, we ask them their opinions on the property, you know, anything that we should watch out for anything that's, you know, about this area or property in particular that you know, maybe we should stay away from. So we, we, and then when then we, what we do is we give them the listing on the resale side. Yeah. You're, you're, so we try to make it a win-win. So yeah, you're feeding them a little bit and then, That's right. and then they're going to work for you on the front end. Right. Which makes yeah. a lot of sense. You're not going to have them. They're, they're not going to keep working for you if you're never feeding them. No, no. <laughs> and we try, you know, we pay 10% commission on the resale side. Like we try to really be nice. good with our broker partners because they're an integral part of our business really. When we find a good one, we just try to do more and more prospecting in that area because it's it's good for yeah. both of us. So yeah, I mean they're they're the local experts and they're the ones that are going to be able to sell that property for top dollar. Right. Not you. Right. right. I mean especially I mean, if it's not I, I don't even backyard. see most of these properties in person at least. Yeah. So true. that makes sense. What's a mistake that you've made in this business and throughout your career, whatever, any mistake that you want to pick that you've made and how have you learned from it? How can you pass down some knowledge to our listeners? One of the big things that I've fallen prey to over the years, and I think I'm past that, is the shiny object syndrome. I'm an entrepreneur. I think it's in my blood. I really feel like I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, my own business owner. So I see things that people are doing like, Hey, that sounds great. Or someone has an idea or I have an idea and it comes to my head. I'm like, that would be a great business to start or side business or whatever. And, and I've gone off on some of those tangents sometimes, but really the most success 
is obtained by taking one thing, focusing on it and making it the best possible business that you can. Instead yeah, of- good. Couldn't agree more. I mean, look, if you want to flip <laughs> land, flip land, but That's if right. you want to, if you want to buy uh, commercial properties, don't buy commercial properties, flip land, buy uh, multifamily properties, buy single family homes and, you know, do everything else in between. Like you got to put some focus into what you're doing. Otherwise you're just going to kind of be average or worse than average at everything you do. So yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, as you were saying that, I just thought like last year at this time I bought a motel <laughs> and yeah. then I was like, you know, that was another thing that, that sidetracked me, but I needed to, I needed some accelerated depreciation. So I bought it. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's a project that hasn't really taken off like I wanted it to, because that's not my focus right now. My focus is, yeah. you know, you probably would have been better off taking your money and, and passively investing into something for the tax write-offs versus buying a motel. And maybe it'll end up working out well. Hopefully it does. I wish you the best on it. I, but you know, hopefully it works out well, but it goes to your point where, you got to just focus and and you're, you've been focusing on this land flipping, you've had success with it and that's great. And that the beautiful thing about real estate and business in general is you can make money so many different ways, but the most successful people at it are the ones that are focusing on that one thing that they do. They just do it really freaking well over and over and over again. And it's maybe not that exciting after you do it so many times, but that's what makes it so successful. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hundred percent on, on the same page with you on that. I mean, it's, it's maybe, maybe it gets boring uh, after a while, if you're an entrepreneur and always looking for the new uh, latest and greatest thing. But I think the way to kind of combat that is to like, keep thinking about your business and how can I make it better? How, how yeah. can we scale? How can we improve? Like, like can think of it as a, as a challenge in that way, instead of getting sidetracked and all these different things. So. Yeah. How can we continue to integrate new things into it? How can we continue to, to um, scale and improve it? Right. Where, where can we, where can we bring more people into the business? You know, eventually maybe you end up bringing in the, the brokerages and, and who knows, who knows where it ends up going as you grow your business, but there's things you can do that you can add on to it, that you can take away from that. You can streamline it. If you're always thinking about the growth, I sat down with actually one of my investors and he would, that's what he was talking about. He's talking about just like, he just like every couple of weeks, you've got to stop. And you've got to take two hours, clear completely your calendar, clear your head and go somewhere and just think and think about your business and think about how you can improve it, how you can make it better, how you can make it more exciting, how you can make more money with it, how you can, you know, help more people with it and just, just clear your head and think about it. And I was like, Oh, that, that's really cool. Coming from an investor, especially like, just like, wow, that's, that's awesome. I love it when people teach me <laughs> things yeah. like that. Oh, I'm, I, I love, I love learning, you know, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn and, you know, so many people have so many good things to share and it's just, you got to be open to it. You know, what's the biggest risk right now with land flipping that you see either currently happening or that you see as a potential, you know, kind of hazard or uh trap coming up um, with land flipping? Well, I'm definitely very closely monitoring the market. 
you know, obviously the market, we don't really know what's going to happen with it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of talk about things are, you know, are really going to fall apart here, but I don't foresee any sort of crash like we had in 2007 to 2009-ish area, but I don't really know. There's a lot of um, smart people back then, really smart people that should have seen that coming that didn't. But I mean, I think that the thing is, it's just really keeping a close eye on our, our days in inventory. Like we, you know, like I said, our average hold time is 60 days. So if I see that really kicking up, yeah, we're going to have to adjust time our to purchase prices accordingly. So, you know, yeah. I know that the, the good properties will still sell, but we're probably going to have to buy them for cheaper. Yeah. So. No, that's good. I know your metric, right? Uh, you are looking at days on market. And uh, knowing that metric and once that starts ticking up and I'm sure you're looking at sales prices too, uh, but once that starts changing, then you know, okay, I got to start buying for cheaper. I got to maybe potentially pull back on how many deals we buy uh, in a particular area. Um, and you've already mentioned the metric before about you're your looking at, you know, how many properties are selling in a particular, you know, year. I'm sure you look at quarter and all that kind of stuff, but how many properties are selling versus how many properties are listed. And as you see more and more properties being listed and less and less properties selling, certainly that's a market you got to be very careful. Yeah. You got to be on top of it. You got to be on top of it. You know, I, I, I have noticed a slight shift probably earlier in the year. Most of our deals, they seemed like the buyers were cash and mm. then it transitioned a little bit that a lot of these properties that we're selling now, they're um, they're cash, but they're being funded from HELOCs and things like that. So I I don't know if there's any correlation to the market itself, but it just seems a it you know it's a little shakier when someone has cash as opposed to someone's buying with a HELOC. It just seems like we've got a lot more of those now. If people start having a problem getting those HELOCs, yeah, um, then you know I could. I, could foresee some, some bigger problems for sure. Yeah. That's it. That's interesting. Uh, that's an, that's really interesting because obviously when people were buying cash, interest rates were at record lows. Right. So why wouldn't you be buying with the HELOC or with financing? And now as interest rates have crept up and we're sitting here, I don't know what land, uh, I mean, what's, what's, what's an interest rate for a piece of land. It's gotta be in the sevens. Yeah, I think a lot of the the land specific lenders are probably seven to nine. You know, like seven when we nine. when I'm working with that partner to buy the notes, he's wow. he's listing nine point nine percent. Wow. So. Yeah, so it's interesting. They're buying on debt now at super high interest rates. Yet when interest rates were low, they're buying with cash. Definitely something to monitor. Um, Maybe they were buying with stock proceeds or crypto or something like that. You know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't yeah. really know where that cash came from, but right, right. You you don't you don't know the backstory there, but um, you know, it's something definitely to to be looking at. And I guess the lesson for the listeners is no matter what you're doing, you've got to look for the things that are going to affect your market and you've got to look for the trends and the data in order to make decisions on how to move forward uh, as best you can. You know, you can you can never predict it. Like you said, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, a lot of people say we're heading into recession, but a lot of people say, have said that for the last 10 years too. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The, the thing I think about often is that in 2000, 
2007 to 2009 when I was selling those bank owned properties. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like there was no market activity. It's just that it shifted. Like there was a complete reset on the prices. I mean, I would list some of these bank owned homes at the time in the worst real estate market ever. And I'd get 30 offers, 30 cash offers. Yeah. So things are selling, you know, it was just the reset on the prices. I, I was buying those properties and we stopped touring the houses because you had to be so fast on writing the offers. So you just didn't go into the houses. You'd write, no. we, we would, we'd just write 30, 40 offers a day. And if we got some properties, we'd quick go see them just in case there was something we didn't like. Uh, something that we had to, you know, it was just a non-negotiable. You had to walk away. Otherwise we'd go forward with it. And right. Just, that's just how it was. Cause they were so competitive. You had to get your offer in the very first day. And there was so many of them that you, you couldn't go tour them all. You, and otherwise it would be three or four days later. By that time, the property was gone. Yeah. Yeah. The craziness really at the time. I mean, I would get, you know, there was days and I was kind of a one man team at the time. I, there was days when I'd have, 30 to 50 voicemails and I just couldn't keep up. Couldn't go. That's yeah. Wild. All right. Well, uh, Pete, I got a couple last questions I want to ask you before we wrap up. What one, one of them is what's a favorite book you can pass down to our listeners. Favorite book. Okay. That's a good one. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to say rich dad, poor dad, because I'm sure a lot of your guests have probably said that one being in real estate investors. You know, my favorite book really right now that I've, I've gotten a lot of insight from is a, is kind of a marketing related book. It's called hundred million dollar offers. Hmm. Um, it's by someone named Alex Hermosi, but it's, I, it's just really a kind of a groundbreaking book. If you're into marketing and business and everything, there's just so many good insights in there. So cool. it's an interesting one. You may not have heard of. Yeah. Love it. Um, how do you like to give back? How do I like to give back? Well, I just, first of all, I, I'm kind of my, my view on life is that I work really hard to just try to be a good person. So my interactions every day with everyone I meet, I don't want to ever come off as, as, as a negative in, interaction. So I try to be friendly and polite and happy and everything to everyone I meet. And I've got a family and, and we all try to, to live that way. And, uh, you know, we donate where, wherever we can and try to help in, in whatever way we can in a lot of different things. So Love it. just trying to be a good person, I think, and, and that'll come around. Yeah, you know. for sure. For sure. Um, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, you have to have uh, a money generating engine of some sort, whether that's your W-2 job, whether it's a land flipping business. Or whether it's, you know, your, your rental properties of of some sort that are bringing you some sort of some sort of income that you can actually live off of, uh, then anything extra uh, that you're not, um, you know, investing into that first thing, you can take and then you know put it into your you know your wealth creation vehicle, whether that's, you know, apartment investing or it's you know building your stock portfolio in some way. Um, and then I, I think the third pillar is just continually educating yourself, investing into your own education, because that's that's kind of really some of the highest leverage stuff that you can do. If you can build your knowledge and your awareness of the world and 
just how you operate within it by educating yourself and becoming uh as 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 uh i don't know as resourceful as possible i think that's kind of the ultimate wealth in a way what's one success habit that's really helped propel you you know in 2022 i'm a very regimented person and i guess you could say from from a basic level just uh, as far as routines go i wake up at 4:50 every morning and go to the gym 5 days a week right then um but as business wise it's about the lead generation keeping that consistently at a high level setting a number and always meeting it we send out direct mail for our lead generation so at this point my goal is 50,000 letters a month and i always make sure to hit that yeah i mean your business is the amount of leads that you get yep or that that numbers you know, game it's a numbers game right you're you're gonna get deals if you if you put the numbers out what's your what's your go-to workout uh i do kind of crossfit style workouts Love it. so yeah i've been doing that since like 2014 and the gym i go to now is not a crossfit gym but it's like functional fitness i guess is uh, sure is the right term for it now so I, it just keeps it fun and my yeah. my um 20 year old daughter she was 14 at the time, but she started, no, she was 12 at the time when we started together. So she's been on this whole kind of, uh, journey with me. So it's been great. So we, every morning we get up early together, we go to the gym and just kind of our thing that we do. So oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So you got her involved in the business when she was 12. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the, in the, uh, uh, the working out <laughs> business. <laughs> oh, in the work, in the workout yeah. business. <laughs> yeah. In working out. Yeah. Uh, it, but my kids actually, they have actually flipped land themselves as well. Cool. So, yeah. So I've thrown them a couple of the deals that were kind of smaller ones that I, I wasn't, um, I was still going to move forward with them if they didn't, but they started out with, I've got two older daughters and they started out at, uh, with $8,000 that they invested their own money, 4,000 each, and they pulled mm -hmm. it together and they've parlayed it into 65,000 in a matter of just a little over a year. And then they've got another property, which they just bought for 20,000. And now they're under contract to sell it for 50,000. So it's going to be even higher than that. Love it. So. Love it. That's awesome. Love passing that down to, uh, you know, the generations below. So that's what yes. I'm hoping somehow my kids get involved in business. They're still young. I think a 13 and nine year old, but want oh, them yeah. to somehow get involved. We'll see what happens. Well, cool. Uh, Pete, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for uh, the insight and the value you've added to my listeners. Uh, really appreciate that. How can the listeners reach out learn more about what you got going on? Sure. Uh, the best place would be to go to turningprofit.com. And that's my website. And each month on there, I do a monthly income report, which breaks down my business, how much revenue we made, how much gross profit we made, each deal that we did, I break down each one and how did it go? You know, did we do well on it? Did we, you know, not do so well on it? I mean, to this point, knock on wood, I haven't lost money on one deal, <laughs> but you know, some deals are way better than other deals. Uh, so I do that monthly. That's I've really also cool. got on, yeah, I've also got on there a full breakdown of the 51st deals that we did in, in the land flipping mm -hmm. business. So I think that's pretty interesting. So you'll see the purchase prices, you'll see what we sold them for and, you know, basically how all those deals went. What, uh, how many deals are you doing uh, a month, a year? Why, 
is there... I'm shooting for 10, you know, like this 10 is our first a month or 10, 10 a year, uh, 10 a month. Yeah. 10, 10 full resales a month. Yep. So this year, uh, we're going to be short of that. I think we're going to be probably at around 70, uh, so far this year, but my goal is to hit 10 for next year. We've done, um, probably in the we're going to probably end up this year at about 3.7 million in revenue, something like that at about a 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we're kind of doubling the money, our investment. Uh, next year, I'm trying to hit 10, 10 million. I think it's definitely doable. So that's cool. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, again, really appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Uh, listeners, reach out to Pete. Uh, you know, learn what he's got going on, turningprofit.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Pete, you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too, Todd. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like, uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out. And, uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.